Hi there, local citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from Brooklyn. I just had to say that because I haven't said it in a long time. I'm coming to you from Brooklyn and I'm happy to be hosting a young woman that I actually met here in Brooklyn in our pre-global career days. And she's coming to us from, well, I'll let her tell you where she's coming to us from. Let's get right into her bio and the conversation. So she has more than 20 years of experience as a senior advocacy strategist, in strategic communication, partnerships, and media in the development sector, specifically in strategies, branding, resource mobilization at the country and regional level in Africa and internationally. She currently leads global partnerships at the Seed Project in Senegal and is a brand experience curator. Bigay Downs Thomas, welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I know we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm happy that it's happening. Yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. So let's jump right in. Let's start with our first question, which is, where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft? So I am from the Gambia, originally from the Gambia in West Africa, born and raised in New York, the most beautiful city in the world. I am currently located in Senegal, which is my base, but I am um, global. I am a nomad, but Dakar is my base. As you beautifully said in the intro, I'm a strategic communication advocacy and partnership consultant, and I am a creator of experiences for brands. Okay, so tell us how a woman who loves New York and is such finds such beauty in it has found herself living on the continent. Well, yeah, I mean, I think all New Yorkers can relate that, you know, if you're a New Yorker, you just love New York and New York will always be in your heart. I just felt that uh, as a Gambian, you know, I was born and raised in New York, went, went away to, to do my, um, my university studies, came back to New York and worked. But I knew I always wanted to live in the continent, um, not necessarily the Gambia, but I knew I wanted to live in the continent because I definitely was that first generation New Yorker with two very proud and uh, rightfully so Gambian parents. And, uh, and that, that upbringing always made sure that I had a strong connection back home. And as a young professional, I wanted that to happen. You know, New York for me at that time was changing as far as, you know, what, it, what my main attraction to it was. I was changing at the same time and it was ready for me to, to pivot. And, and, and I found myself in West Africa. Okay. So did you first land in, in Senegal, in Dakar, or did you try some other locations first? No, I actually ended up landing in the Gambia. Ah, <laughs> I, was tr- okay. I was trying. Uh-huh. I was trying not to be in the Gambia because um, I felt like I knew Gambia pretty well. I was fortunate enough to visit Gambia many times throughout my life in New York, from when I was like a little infant. Uh, my parents made sure that I ha- they were able to make sure that I had a connection. I know um, that was something that they wanted to make sure happened, and they were fortunate enough to to make it happen. So I remember uh, in 2005, I made my decision after procrastinating year after year that I was going to really move. I wanted this kind of perfect situation laid out for me where, you know, at that time I was in my communication life at that time in New York was in a magazine publication. I was working for Condé Nast publications for Condé Nast Traveler and Gourmet, which was fun and sexy and very cultural and, you know, but I was, I was done with that. 
And ideally, I wanted that to be done with a nice bow tie and have a nice position in Africa set for a bow tie and just go on a straight linear path. And that was very naive and young of me. And uh, the world doesn't really work that way. So after a while, I just decided, you know, I'm going to travel within the continent for three months. I have so many people spread throughout the continent. I'm going to send them an email, um, let them know that January of 2006, I'll be in the continent for three months. Let me know when I can visit you for how long. Here's my CV. Share it with your network. And if um, when I'm visiting you, you have people that I can meet that like my profile, I'd love to link up with them. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So I thought that would be fun for three months. But, you know, as we say, when your intention is clear and set, the delivery comes through. So before I left New York, I had interviews in in Cape Town. I I think at that time it was called Associated, the publication house. Associated was um, a branch off of Hearst Publication. And I had an interview with O Magazine in Cape Town. And then I also had an interview for UNICEF in the Gambia. And this was before I left. Okay. So, <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. So I, I went, I went forward to Cape Town. I did my interview and um, I felt it looked too similar to what I left in New York. I can see that. Yeah. You know, I walked into um, an off branch of Hearst publication. It looked like Condé Nast. Um, it was still magazine editorial. I mean, I think it would have been a great I always wonder what that path would have looked like if I decided to work for O Magazine, because I think Oprah is amazing. But I decided to go for the, the UNICEF. It was just a three-month consultancy. It was different from what, what, what I was trying to leave behind in New York. And I figured UNICEF really does work in, in country. And this will also give me a chance to see something beyond the greater Banjul area that I was familiar with and, and see a lot of the rural side and have more of a personal depth of knowledge of, of my my home country. So I went with UNICEF and then a three-month consultancy turned into a career consultancy with the UN amongst private sector. Oh, wow. So you kind of got a little bit of that bow tie, right? I did. <laughs> I did. I did. I did. I kind of got a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah it was it was kind of tied up a little bit. So but I mean, I kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, your strategy was was wonderful. So I mean, it, it just proves that, you know, a little bit of organization on the side of using your network makes a huge difference in, in kind of getting to where you need to be or want to be. I think you put it exactly in the right way. That's what I tell people who are looking to make the transition. You know, use your network. Your network is a lot larger than you think it is. Sometimes we take our network for for granted, especially us New Yorkers, because we socialize so much that we forget that we have a strong network. So yeah, tap into your network. I think intention is really important. Define what your intention is. You don't have to have the path so much, but once you define your intention and, and make it a bit clear and you use your network, then I guess the bow tie comes in a lot clearer. Yeah. Yeah. You you mentioned that you, you know, went away to school and came back. So in terms of your, your background professionally and the inspiration that, you know, puts you in the, the space that you currently are, what were some of the factors that, that have you there? So I always loved, you know, when I was younger and, and high school and even elementary school, I always loved gathering information and discovering new information and and putting it together and then presenting it to people. 
and presenting it to people in a way that that was interesting to them and having them unfold and, and, and learn. Ah, storyteller. Storyteller, you know. And at that time, with my limited knowledge of different kind of career paths and occupations, I just felt, and my African parents felt, you know, oh, that's journalism. And um, yeah. so I said, yeah, that's what journalism <laughs> is. So I'm going to be a journalist. Uh, my paternal grandfather was a journalist in the Gambia. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I guess that also kind of made me think that that should be my path. So I, I, went, to, I went to school and I, and I studied journalism. And when I got out, I, I, I discovered that I wanted a little bit more creativity than what journalism had taught me. And, and that's when I went into the magazine world thinking that it'll be a bit more creative, which it was. And I, and I went into the lifestyle magazine world, you know, which was the travel magazine. And then after that, a food magazine. I always say I'm like a wannabe artist. I have so many artist friends. <laughs> and I appreciate uh, the arts so much. So, you know, that led me there. And then, like, like I said, when I went to, to Gambia, it led me into development. I am a product of the UN. Both my parents worked for the UN, and that's what made me a New Yorker. And I swore that I would never work for the UN because I felt like I knew too much of it. It didn't seem something that was refreshing because I knew it my whole life. But, you know, that's what led me there. Yeah, but you flipped it and put it in a whole other context. So that is creative. So I always, you know, I am not shy about claiming myself as a, a creative or an artist anymore because... I mean, I always have been creative and an artist, but I feel like we run away from embracing that side of ourselves to our own detriment, right? Because because of the way people judge artists or people judge, you know, creatives as not being focused or, or you know, organized necessarily. They just get to be very like free and carefree. But I think that most many successful artists are people like us who you know, have intention, think about it, and then they just build their their art around a different, I guess, pivot point, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I think it's also, you know, this high expectation of what, I'll say, I'll say more the creative world and what artistry means, you know, and that if you are an artist that, you know, you better deliver something that's just like amazing and it's going to be featured in a gallery or in a specific show, but there's so many different paths of being a creative. And you're right to claim it. Recently, I read something on, um, you know, one of these Instagram posts that, that really uh, resonated with me. And it was, you know, like, I'm, I mourn all the art that's, that's not being done or shared because people are, like, um, are afraid. The algorithm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that too. Oh yeah, there's two. Yeah. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just saw one about all the art that doesn't get seen because of the algorithm. And it's so true. Because of the algorithm. Exactly. Because of the algorithm. And then it went on to say, because, you know, you're, you're afraid to share or you're afraid to express yourself or, you know, you feel like you can't live out of a box. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. But I made my I surrounded myself with artists, even even if I didn't think that I was. And, and that's so fulfilling. Yeah, exactly. I have that same kind of feeling about my my tribe, so to speak. <laughs> so I, I find that so interesting that your paternal grandfather was a journalist. He was Charles Whitfield Thomas. He was a journalist in the Gambia. Okay. And so I'm just, I just had an interview with James Brunner and he's 94. So just to hear about what he was covering and how, I don't know if you knew him very well, but what he was seeing and writing about 
in the Gambia at that time because this is he was a colonial journalist. Yeah, I'm sure he knew my grandfather because so was my grandfather. My grandfather was a colonial journalism and you know, I think was really like, these were the guys that gave birth to Pan-Africanism. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So interesting. Okay. So we'll put a note on that. So <laughs> let's get to why the where. So you started in the Gambia with the UN and now you are in Dakar. So why the where? How did you come to be living, working and playing where you currently are? You know, Dakar is a wonderful city. It is um, a wonderful West African city. It's, it's a very cosmopolitan, it's very artsy, you know, and as we know, as we've explained, I really appreciate and adore the arts. I think it's, there are different African cities that definitely are very artsy, but I, I think for me, Senegal stood out because of its history with the art. You know, you go back to its first independent president, um, Senghor, that was a, a poet and an artist. And I think from that time, Senegal has inherited this, um, this, this high value for art and culture and really, really high value where, where a lot of respect is given to creatives, to artists, not just as, you know, a sector of society that, that have like a, 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 a stagnant status, but where you can have upward mobility and how it integrates into the society completely. So that was very captivating. And Senegal has become a hub for Western Central Africa. You know, so you have, and, and that's what makes it even more cosmopolitan that resonates with me as a nomad, as a New Yorker, you know, melting pot person. So, you know, un unfortunately, because of like the internal, the civil war in Ivory Coast that happened in the 90s, I think 90s, early 2000s, um, a lot of the international agencies had their Western Central Africa regional office in Abidjan. And um, and when the unrest happened for like almost a decade, they moved their offices to Dakar. And what, what maybe was intended to be a, a short term, a temporary situation, you know, turned into, um, you know, a new a new regional hub. So you have all these and then you also have a lot of the private sector now, you know, as we know. Africa is uh, is hot. <laughs> Everybody's interested in Africa. Everybody's respecting Africa to some degree, you know, more than before. And you have a lot of the private sector now moving into Africa and having offices in Africa. So you have private sector establishing in Dakar, not just doing country level work, but having their office as a sub-regional for, for West and Central Africa countries. So that was attractive as a consultant. It was, it was attractive to be there for work because I knew that my clientele was there where I could be doing work within, uh, within the continent, but be based in Dakar. And I knew Senegal was interesting because, you know, it was, uh, it had, it was dynamic when it came to being uh, cosmopolitan and artsy. The culture between uh, indigenous culture between Gambia and Senegal is the same. You know, before colonialism, Gambia and Senegal was one was one land. You know, so you know we we we, we speak Wolof and you know Fulani and all the other traditional languages. Our customs, our foods are the same. So that kind of filled my Gambian culture desire and the proximity to Gambia was there too. So I'm very lucky that way. You can drive. I mean, you know, the, the roads and the ferry, you know, make it a little bit longer than it should be if, if they were, you know, done it in a better way. But, but yeah, I drive many times. I go by road. So tell us a little bit more. So you've been in Dakar for how long now? I've been, you know, I've always been, like I said, I'm a nomad. So I've been in and out, especially as a Gabian. I've been in and out of Senegal a lot. 
Um, but the decision I made, you know, to make Dakar my base was in 2015. I ran to New York. I ran back to New York <laughs> thinking that I missed New York <laughs> around 2010, 11. And, um, and I found out that all my consultancies were coming out of Senegal to do the work throughout the, the continent. And I remember, um, I say this, I say this a lot to many of my, uh, my network. One time I remember working nine months out of the year and I just figured, okay, I'm not going to be paying New York rent and not be living there for nine months. And all my work is in, in Africa. So in 2015, I decided to make Dakar my base, and, and I'm happy I made that decision. I visited Dakar for the first time last year for the Biennale, so I can definitely say that I've experienced that artsy, and I would I can't wait to return to experience more of that artsy Dakar. And so I am curious about what part, like what is what is your Dakar? I stayed in kind of northern part of the city. I stayed in three places. So I stayed by the university. Okay, Shekanta Joke. Uh-huh, exactly. And then I stayed by the old airport. Okay, in um, Ngor, Ngor, Yoff area. Yes, Ngor, Ngor. Yes, exactly. So I'm curious about like what part of, of Dakar is, is your home base like, and what is, what's it like in that community? Well, you know, Dakar has like little spots of different um, communities within the greater Dakar area, which is what we're talking about. And, you know, you we were in the area in Gaul, which is, you know, where, I mean, construction is booming in, in Dakar. Anybody passes through Dakar. I think this is the case that I've seen with a lot of cities in West Africa, just like Ghana is booming with the construction everywhere you see it in Dakar. And um, you have the different spots that have like little mini um, niches of cultures, you know. Gaul is great, you know, it has a lot of like a growing surf community and the surf life, which is really interesting. You know, I currently live in Wakam, which is a, which is a great mix of like, um, you know, urban, old urban and the new developments. You know, they have a military base that's there as well. Ah, uh, okay. So is that a little bit out of like central Dakar, Wakam? Yeah, so it's out of central D D Dakar, as we will call downtown, but it's still part of the greater greater Dakar area. And, you know, and speaking of downtown, yeah, that downtown is, is, you know, it's it's still that downtown feeling where you can walk around and, and see the bustling and, and all the, the colors and the smells. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I did a lot of walking too. So speaking of where you are in, in that place, I want to ask you about Glocal Speak. So we want to hear what you hear. And so I ask you to share a word, a phrase, or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you've come to value it as Glocal Speak. This is a good one. It's a really good question. And this is something that I've known it for a long time because it's in Wolof. And uh, that's what we speak in Gambia. But I've learned to appreciate more and more throughout the years. And it's um, Jamrek. Jamrek. Jamrek? Yeah, which means peace only. Ah, I like that. Yeah. So normally when you um, greet, you'll say Nangadef, which I think a lot of people hear. And, you know, you, you have like the everyday experience now where you say Manfi, which is I'm here. But, you know, my, my maternal grandmother used to always say that, the correct reply is jamrek, which is peace only. And you hear jamrek a lot. So they'll ask you like, how is your mother? How is, I think this is throughout the continent. They like to go through the family members. How's your mother? How's your father? How's the household? How's work? And then that's when you reply jamrek, 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 jamrek. And that's like a very, very common saying that I value more and more and try to live it because I'm trying to, I'm trying to, 
<laughs> limit, you know, like limit the, the, the chaos and any noise in my life and like peace only, peace only, peace only. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And it's so true. I, f- I find that there's so much grace in, so, in the way that, you know, our indigenous languages are and in the way that people speak that my mother tongue is English. Um, but the more that I'm in Ghana and around the languages and understanding, like, even the translations that we think are just so inadequate in so many ways. So I, 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 can, I can totally... Jamrek? Peace only. Jamrek, yes, peace only. Yeah. Another term that I like, it's not a wall of, um, and it's not um, an indigenous phrase, but because, like I said, I'm nomad and I go around the world, but I really appreciate it is grow where you're planted. Ah, that is a great sentiment as well. Moving around a lot, sometimes I put a lot of things on hold thinking that I would be here temporarily and now's not the time. And then life kind of takes over, and then before you know it, what a short term. What you thought would be short term ends up being long term and, uh, you know, a dream or an action gets deferred. So I've learned to really appreciate the grow where you are planted. And if you get replanted somewhere, then you go there. Yeah, I love that because my name means Florence. I mean, it means flower. And so I always just think of blooming. Like it's just bloom is just always in my 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 mind, especially as I've just kind of gotten mature and realize exactly that. Like working on the continent is not always easy. So you got to figure out how to make the, the soil produce for you in a lot of ways. So I love that. I love that. And I, and I think you're a good representation of that. Anybody even knows you. It's quite fitting. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Okay, so let's get into the work, the business. So you've you've you you're still in this development space, but now you're in, in Dakar and you're doing a few things. But I'm so curious about your work with the Seed Project. Let's let's tell us about that, how it happened, you know, how the organization is doing. I listened to you on a radio program and I was just like, oh, what awesome work. So tell us tell us more about Seed. Oh, thanks so much. Seed is just an, it's an incredible um, NGO. It's a nonprofit organization. It's a U.S. registered, but it's HQ in operations and programming is in Senegal. And its target audience and its deliverables are throughout the continent. It's a, it's an NGO that uses sports as a catalyst to empower youth. It's a youth empowerment NGO that believes in education. Is that what the acronym is? Exactly. The acronym is Sports for Education and Economic Development, SEED. So it's really um, believing in education and understanding that sports and education and empowerment um, go hand in hand. That's, that's, that sports is a great catalyst. You know, traditionally within the continent, you know, when you played sports, it was on the side or when you were done with your work, you know, or sometimes, you know, you might be punished as a kid because you were out playing football, you know, or, or you know, soccer, as anybody might call it, too much. And, and what I love about seed is seed is like, no, this is not the case. When you use sports and you use it properly, it can really empower and, and any individual, but specifically, as you know, we're a young continent, you know, our, our youth population is strong. So, you know, what I learned from, I, I, I feel like what I must say, you know, before I continue is I'm, I'm really happy with where I am right now, because I feel like all my experiences have led me to really benefit the most from what I'm doing right now. And when it comes to seed, you know, I really value it because 
in my development um, consultancy work in, in Africa, which is what my specialty is, is development in Africa, is that, like I said, it's a young population. So I really understood the value of even if you're not into the youth, even if you're not, that's not what your interest is. If you're into development in Africa, if you're into business in Africa, if you don't focus on the youth, forget it, because that's the majority of the population. So I really love what Seed is doing. It, it, was, it was founded by Amadou Galofal. He's a Senegalese, and he's basically a product of what Seed's mandate is, which is why he started it. You know, he, he came from a family that really valued education, great at school. And I think it was someone from USAID had, had seen him and seen how tall he was. And, you know, long story short, introduced him to basketball, connected him with basketball. And he ended up with his good grades, getting a college scholarship to go to the U.S. and going, uh, getting his college degree for free while playing college basketball. And, you know, he never really ended up being a player, but he ended up being a really big and significant figure within the basketball industry. And he's the founder of Seed Project, and he founded it because he understood what, what sports could do for African youth, as it did for him. You know, so that that's I I, I do um, strategic partnerships, global strategic partnerships to bring in whether they're financial or in kind to support the great programming that's happening. Okay, and so what are some of the partnerships that are helping the organization to grow? And because it's basketball, I feel like I'm, I'm sure there are some basketball partnerships that you've worked on cultivating. And exactly, so Seed is sports for sports for education and economic development, but we focus on basketball because of you know the, you know you start with what you know. And Amadou Galafau obviously knows basketball. <laughs> so um, we have a, a partnership. Our primary partnership was with the NBA Academy. So the NBA is huge and has different sectors and departments. But our, our official primary partnership is with the NBA Academy. And um, it's the first NBA Academy in Africa that was that's in, in Sali, Senegal. And now they're growing throughout the continent. We also have Nike partnerships. Um, Nike's a great supporter when it comes to performance on court performance gear. You know, we have local partnerships with like Casa Maces, which is a water company. So it's really interesting for me because I really get to tap into, you know, what I, what I love, which is the global, global community. And, and bringing, whether it's a high net worth individual, whether it's local Senegalese uh, private sector company or an Africa-wide business company or an international one, you know. So I really work to tap in and find strategic partnerships and uh, for, for resource mobilization. And I imagine that the Basketball Africa League, is that it? Yes, the BAL, the Basketball Africa League. So that is based in Dakar as well, right? It is. It's based in Dakar. It was uh, started um, by Amadou Galofal. He was previously in South Africa with uh, NBA Africa. And once he set that up and running beautifully, um, you know, his new NBA project is the BAL, and he is the president of the Basketball Africa League. And the C project and the Basketball Africa League don't have an official partnership as we do with the NBA Africa Academy, but we collaborate a lot. There's a lot of collaboration. And, you know, if I must humbly say, because Seed is, what, 25 years old? So Seed really set up this ecosystem that we're seeing now, obviously the federations were there before and they're great African basketball players that played in the 70s, you know, way before Seed came to be. 
But the ecosystem that we're seeing now, the level of, of basketball and the whole ecosystem, I, I really do believe um, Seed had a huge, huge part in this. And we collaborate a lot with the BAL. The BAL staff, there's a lot of BAL staff that are Seed alumni. Because as 25-year-olds, you have high school students that, that were in Chess Senegal, that um, Seed Project is the name of the NGO. And part of the programs is the Seed Academy, which is its most popular program. So it is, a, it, it is a basketball academy that has dorms where the majority of the beneficiaries are economically marginalized youth. And, um, they dorm there, they eat there, they go to a public school that's nearby, but within the academy, they have tutoring, one-on-one tutoring, group tutoring, ESL classes, you know, um, preparation for testing, life skills on and off the court, you know, key values is given to them. So you have a lot of kids that were seed high school students in the academy because it's 25 year old and some of them got scholarships to get a U.S. education. Some of them got scholarships to continue in Senegal that are non-sports. And the large majority of them about, I think our stats are about 96 or 98 percent of seed kids have university degrees or are working and, and, and bringing in uh, jobs and, and income. And a lot of them work within the NBA, um, the Basketball Africa League included. That's awesome. That is economic development in action. It is. It is. I'm happy to play a small part in that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Just speaking about sports and that, that, that focus, how would you say that SEED has been effective bringing in women? Because particularly like thinking about the context of being in your region, which is, is a very Muslim, there's a, there's a lot of Muslim influence. And so how does that kind of play into, and that's, and I only bring that up because gender roles are very, you know, pretty defined and, you know, women aren't necessarily seen as being those athletes or being, being, you know, sports people. So how has that kind of played out in recruiting young women, young girls to be part of the program and then how, how successful they may be? No, I mean, it's a really good point. And this is an, another pride and joy that I'm happy to be a little bit part of this history is that, you know, you're completely right. You know, the sports in, in general, globally, are girls, young girls, young women, professional athletes, they are, they, they don't, they're not, the equality is not there. They're, they're marginalized. They've been historically marginalized when it comes to being integrated into sports all over the world. You know, some, uh, some part of the Western world, we're seeing a little bit more advancement than than on the continent, but um, with SEED, this year, 2023, marks the 10-year anniversary where SEED Academy became girls-inclusive. So the academy started off as an all-boys academy, and 10 years ago, the the funds were, were pushed to, magic was, was, was pushed to happen, you know. Um, there were a lot of roadblocks. I wasn't part of it 10 years ago, obviously, because I've been part of SEED for three years now. But I do know that there were a lot of roadblocks, you know, when it came to why girls. It's an NGO. The funds are already limited. Um, the programming was already set, you know. But Amadou Galofal really got a lot of requests from young girls in the community to say, we love this and we want to be a part of it. And what I love about him is that he listened and he, he told his team, but we don't, he didn't want to hear no. And he didn't want to hear that we can't. It needed to happen. And it happened. So 10 years ago, Seed Academy in 2013 became girls inclusive. And we're, we're just seeing the results. You know, you have one seed girl, Fatu Jang. You know, she's, she's been in California. She's played college basketball in California, got her 
bachelor's degree. I think I think this year she's finishing up her master's. She's into HR and HR management. She's registered an NGO, giving back to her community in chess. So when it comes to what they call the Talibi, where child streets treat children. So, you know, we have so many stories like this where you see what the impact is for boys and for girls when they use sports, when the values of sports are used and um, in a productive way, they get this discipline, they get this value system, you know, and, and they have this go-get-it um, resilience. And that translates, you know, off the court. And, uh, and you see it and you see the values about, you know, giving back and communication and, you know, the, you know, what's, what was coined by an NBA um, Africa staff, um, Kita, the Ubuntu theory, you know, which I think almost every African language has, which is unity, you know, you see, you see the kids, it's, uh, it's good, you know, you, you see these, these young kids grow when when they're in high school as they're teenagers and and as as adults and they come back to Senegal they set up the industries or they they work and and the girls are part of it yeah that's wonderful so i think this is a kind of a great point for me to ask you about a mindset hack and so i want to ask you what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack now this is one that you can imagine or one that you know of or one that you practice a mindset hack I think it's it's basically what I said in the in the beginning that I go back to, you know, when we start this conversation, which is like clear int- clear intention. You know, go back to when you want something, and go back to what your intention is. What is your intention? What is your intention? And tap into your network, and that works cross board. You know, another one that I learned, you know, during my years uh, working um, in communication for UNICEF when I was in Gambia is, um, you know, the one-on-one for UNICEF is issue action impact, you know, and that's a great mind hack I use. It was initially used for writing, but I found it useful for everything in life that, you know, whatever I'm doing, you know, personally or professionally, I, uh, I try to go back to be like, okay, what's the issue here? What's the action that I'm taking? Where are the gaps? What's, what's strong? And uh, what's the impact? And is that in alignment with what my um, intention is? I always circle back to that. Mm -hmm. I like that. Issue, action, impact, and being intentional and, and reflecting on that intention and reviewing those intentions as well. So... Let's talk about the the curator in you. <laughs> the curator in me. I feel like I've always been one, but I've, like you said, gotten gotten the courage to label it that way. So, you know, since I was young, I've, I've like I said, I've always loved to to gather stuff, gather information, and put it together and and present it in a in a way that was compelling and interesting. Early on, I thought that was journalism, right? And and it took me on the path of journalism that led me to great opportunities and experiences and and, and work, you know, with my strong network of um, artist friends. And also just, you know, even though I worked in communication, working for, you know, the travel magazine and food magazine, and then with my art networks, I, I would always be asked to help them you know, with their comms, you know, oh, I have, I have I have an interview coming up or I have a brand or whether I'm a singer or, you know, a visual artist, I would help them. And then about five years ago, I realized that it could all merge. I could, I could use my, um, my, my communication and advocacy skills and my love for art and gathering and putting together information to present it to people. So this is the, where the curator of experiences for brands comes. 
you know, I, I, in communication now, things have evolved. You know, everything is the experience. That is, for me, what I believe is is what great communication is. Yes, you can do the press release. Yes, you can do the billboards. Yes, you can do the leaflets. Everybody can do that now. I think that's um, that's an archaic way of doing stuff. It's still needed, I think, as a backbone. But the real way for me for impact is to create experiences. The storytelling is having people experience the story. So that, that works for, for brands um, and institutions cross-board. You know, if it's, if it's in development and you really want people to know about the demographic dividends in Africa of, um, of young people and, and how they need to be empowered, you create an experience for the donors and the partners to really experience what it's like, you know, better than writing. The report is always there as the Bible, as the factual information. But if you have a donor trip coming and you really curate a, a, a proper experience for them to see the youth and to see how they're thriving, to see what the gaps are, you're going to really have them understand what's going on. You're going to touch them and they're going to remember it and they're going to feel a connection and they're going to have a stronger commitment to deliver. And that also translates into into the arts. It translates into sports. It translates into arts. It translates into everything. This is, this is what I do. I create experiences for institutions and brands. And as, as of late, with my experience with Seed, I realized, you know, I do global partnerships, but aside from partnerships, there's this now this, you know, I don't know if you realize, but the NBA All-Star Game this year was Africa Forward. You know, even the drafting that happened two weeks ago, Africa Forward, front and center, you know, you had um, Thames, uh, Burner Boy performing at the NBA All-Star Game. And they were the talk of the town, not by Africans, but by the world. And you have a lot of now basketball all ecosystems of the basketball industry coming in, of the sports industry coming in. And I'm, I'm, I'm working with my partner and, and delivering experiences in the, in the sports sector here in Africa. So it's an expert service provider in the sports industry in Africa. So helping to provide all aspects of uh, sports experiences in the continent. As an athlete myself, right? I a uh, college athlete and and did some running after. Oh, great! I didn't know that. Yeah. So I, everything you're saying about the sports, it is the soundtrack of my life, right? Because I was in sports and all of the things about discipline and you know being organized and it just really it's a game changer, I think, for many people. And not everyone has an athletic aptitude, so I won't say that it's for everyone. But those that that find that aptitude, it's truly a path for you know, I guess, just a great life, great life purposing, so to speak. When you say sports in Africa, and I always, you know, I, I feel like a stepchild because I was a track athlete and it's always football, football, football. So I'm so happy, number one, <laughs> that, that Senegal has basketball as a key feature. And, you know, it's growing across the, the region, across the continent, exactly. But what are some of the other types of sports that are kind of being featured, being focused on, being grown? Well, obviously, we, we know football. Also, we know football, which is, you know, which is soccer, um, which Senegal has been doing uh, exceptionally well. And, you know, we have like Sergio Mane and, um, and, and the, the coach of the team as well, you know, that are, that are really, um, you know, the game was already the most popular game, you know, um, in Senegal as it is in Africa. But there's a new sense of pride and a new sense of economic um, opportunity and ecosystems that are being formed, translating into sports tourism and arts and music. But, you know, you also have traditional um, sports, which is a traditional wrestling, which is all male. 
but a very, very traditional. I'm not working on that, but that's definitely there. You know, you have some volleyball that's here as well, you know, but the real dominant one, as we all know, is football. It's African, European football, as we, as we call it in Europe and around the world, except for the States. And for me, what's really interesting is the emerging basketball. And I say basketball because of the ecosystem that's being created by it, you know, the ecosystem of reviving and and from sports coming up, it's reviving, I think, football as well. And and the whole sports industry in general. And that's really where, where my work lies, not necessarily in the technicality of the sports, but in the ecosystem. So, you know, with sports, we have fashion, we have gear. With sports, we have music. They go hand in hand. With sports, we have tourism. We have sites that, that we see. And there are all these experiences that, that, that we're curating over here, you know, with, uh, with my partner throughout the continent using sports for that. I love how you just kind of framed what the ecosystem is about, you know, in that space. You have the music, you have the fashion, you have the tourism. I would add education. I would add health, you know. So so I think it's a great way to put all of that into the mindsets of people to feel that flexibility to move between them and also engage stakeholders in all of those places as you grow. Beautifully said. That's it, is to engage stakeholders for that. And, you know, really for me, I really feel like what I do well, you know, I can say confident right now, is is creating strategic synergies in Africa to deliver experiences, you know, and that have a cultural reference. And that's exactly what what, what you're saying. It's, It's exactly that. And I feel like all roads that we were speaking of, you know, from from my time studying journalism to, you know, working in uh, Condé Nast with, with tourism and, you know, travel and food, working for UNICEF, community youth um, engagements, you know, doing, um, learning more about the, the sports world through SEED. And, and now bringing in all those different sections that you talked about, um, the development sectors, that is my specialty, which is, you know, educa- education and economic development, you know, to the arts section, which is the fashion, which is the food, which is the culture, and which is the arts, and to tourism, that all comes together. That's what I do, is, is creating those strategic synergies in Africa to deliver that cultural experience that hits those, those areas. Yeah, and that's exciting for me. Yeah, I was going to say, what fun you're having, because it just sounds like fun. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work. We're still on the continent. There are lots of challenges. Of course. I know. I know. <laughs> it's fun. It's exciting. You know how you know how it is. There's lots of dots and, and little dots in between the dots. But for me, it's all worth it because I, I find it exciting. And I think it's exciting for the continent. You know, I think it great, gives great opportunity to a lot of Africans in Africa that are that are starting to do great and beautiful things and then and it can give them a platform to emerge and thrive. Yeah. And I think that's the story of the youth. When you, when you were speaking about the youth, they, they're just cut differently. You know, they're not the us's. So this, like being very, as you, you know, as your craft is strategic about how to engage them, how to make them or bring them into the fold of becoming the, the leaders and those that are going to be the primary focus of, you know, the next generations, it's very important. Yeah. So let's talk about the big A that is not working. I mean, because because of what you do, you, you probably mix a lot of social, but I'm always interested in finding out who you are when you're not working. So I ask 
Are you a reader? Are you a watcher? Are you a listener? And what are some of your favorite reads, watches, or listens? I'm so embarrassed to say I'm becoming less and less of a reader. And I think I'm just getting sucked into what modern day is. I feel like I read a lot for my work. I read a lot of reports, you know, I do a lot of research. So I'm finding myself less and less reading, doing um, leisure reading, unfortunately. You know, the New Yorker in me was really someone that would be reading on the subway in transit, you know. So this is something that I don't have really in, in Senegal because you're really more in a taxi. There's no subway ride or, or a long bus ride that you're doing. So um, I'm reading less, but I want to change that. I listen to a lot of podcasts. What am I listening to for podcasts? There's a good podcast that I think it's called um, Live Better, Live More. Dr. Rajan uh, Chatterjee. It, 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 I, I love listening to that. Um, he's a doctor of Indian heritage that's based in the UK. Yeah. And he really has amazing, he does amazing interviews. I love his style. And, um, and he brings in different characters that we talk about living better and living longer. And that, that helps me a lot. What am I listening to? I'm all over the map when it comes to music. <laughs> I'm all over the map, yeah. But a lot lately I've been listening to a lot of a lot of I'm a piano like everybody else. It wakes me up. I love it. You know, it wakes up my body. Yeah. I love listening to it in the morning or even in the evening, you know. Robert Glasper as a New Yorker, that kind of, I know you love America, yeah, I just love him. I just saw um, him in the park with Layla Hathaway and Bilal, uh, like think last weekend, two weekends ago. I miss ago? New York in the summertime. Yeah, there's nothing like New York in the summertime. Yeah, I know, that's why, that's why I'm here. You know, when I was there, I was listening to radio and, and hearing local artists. So are there any local artists that you listen to? Because the music was like, it's so different that like Ghanaian local artists versus even Nigerian local artists. But are there any that are, you know, I, and I just, I, I saw some, I was like, wow, this is good music. So. Yeah, you know, there's, you know, what, what we have in, uh, in Senegal, which is the same as in, as in Gambia, is, is the, we call them Balakh, Balakh music. You know, I, I guess everybody would, would know, would know Balakh by, by Yusundur, who's like, you know, I guess the most famous. So we have that, that kind of music that's, uh, that's here. Yeah, there, there's so many young artists that are coming out. Like I, I, I can't. I know the songs, but I can't. I can't keep track of them. Right, so many. I know what you mean. I know. I... <laughs> I'm still old school with my exactly um, with my idea. But you, you have like you know, you know these like uh, Jiao Jop, you know that the kids listen to. That you know he's. I love listening to it. You know when when I'm around crowds, he's like the rave now with the witty witty song and stuff like that. Great, we have some show notes info for you folks, so you can look at different <laughs> music and podcasts and all that good stuff. Vige, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much for taking time and just for what you're doing because. You know, I like to just kind of celebrate the impacts that folks are making and just the courage to even go back and, and be who you want to be and who you are. So thank you so much for that. So before we let you go, do you have any last thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience? Um, well, first and foremost, thank you. Well, lastly, not first and foremost, but lastly, I, you know, I want to thank you again for having me on. Um, I think what you're doing is amazing. I think it's great to hear stories, you know, throughout the diaspora, um, different perspectives. I love that you are contributing to breaking down 
this this false perception of having one African story. So I, I really value that, and I and I look forward to your other episodes. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Last words to share is you know like let's connect, guys. Let's connect. You know, <laughs> let's energy. Let's tap into in into each of our networks, and we can all grow together. It's not a competition, and um, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. We can all grow together. It's not a competition. Yes. Thank you for that because we need to hear that more often. All right, folks, this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us Tuesdays with new episodes at GlocalCitizensPod.com or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a review. That helps other people find great content on the internet. So until next time, bye for now.